0: What's going on, folks? What's going on, folks? I'll say that again because I kind of mumbled it all together. But um, we are here for another podcast tonight. I got Elliot, the ductator himself, alongside me. Per usual, our guest for tonight is David, and he's going to be joining us here shortly. We're going to be talking all about New Zealand. We're super excited to get into that one. Um, Something that we're both not very familiar with. I think we've seen it, kind of kept tabs on it from afar. Um, Seeing a lot of craziness and and you know a lot of awesome stuff they got going, so um, really excited to learn more and, and, and to talk to him about that. But before we do that, let's go ahead and get a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump into the podcast. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to Onyx. Um, Onyx is perfect for all your map scouting needs. Uh, you can check for property permission on private land. You can check for property boundaries on public land. Um, you know, the main thing that I use it for on my private land access is I click right on a field and see who owns it. The tax address drive there, get permission. You know, you're one step ahead of the game. When you see a feed, you can be the first one there. If, if people are not using Onyx in the same area as you and you're scouting, you're 100% going to have an advantage at beating them to the spot or beating them to permission. So um, check it out, guys. You can use it on app, on mobile, Apple, Android, online as well. They got the web the web, um, the web, browser version of it as well. They all link together so you can mark your pins, look up stuff on the web as well as on your phone. So check them out, Onyx. You won't be disappointed.
1: All right, guys. As soon as you get a chance, I want you to go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting that is a page that jordan and i share and we've got a bunch of guys over there that are really enjoying the extra content we've been putting out jordan and i have been putting out a lot of extra content extra podcasts extra videos all sorts of stuff in fact yesterday was my birthday and i want to give a shout out to tom and doug because i got a duck call from tom and and, uh, um, Doug Fowler sent me, which just came in today, um, like a, wa- a wildlife management book. So I just wanted to give a special shout out to those two patrons. Say thank you for that. But guys really head on over there and see what Jordan and I have going. Cause it's just a lot of extra content and a really tight knit little community. So go check that out.
0: Awesome. I uh, also like to give a big thanks out to motion duck decoys um, perfect for those no-win days. It is the ultimate spreader or the original spreader. I use the ultimate seven ducks. Um, you throw it out there in your set. It's a jerk rig on steroids. It takes away the glass-like water and puts ripples through your whole set. It's super simple. It collapses down um, into something that's easily easily packable as far as packing out in and out of your your spots and just sets up in minutes. Like I said, jerk rig on steroids, so... Um, we know that it works, and if you're a hunter at all, and you know the struggles of no-win days, you put that out there, and it's definitely going to up your game. Check them out, motionducks.com. Use code DUCKGUN10 at checkout. 10% off and free shipping.
1: As, as you are looking for your off-season new clothes and decoys and merchandise, I want you to remember Banded, Avery, and GHG, those are our companies of choice. So I don't know where you buy all your waterfowl gear, but a lot of places carry um, this equipment and it is high quality. Jordan and I both just absolutely love it. Or you can get it over at Band.com. So um, I know Jordan and I are already talking about the things we want for next year. they have got a new series, um, Aspire Ignite series, waders and soft shell jacket, the hoodie vest, really, really good stuff. Go go, give it a, a look and, and keep it in mind as an option as you buy your new your new products and if you're a dog guy um you've got avery sporting dog or i think it's avery sporting dog Um, blanked on the name for a second but you can get i I bought my bumpers there and they've got it actually got a new dog stand um, which is covered when you can brush it up and everything and i'm I'm gonna get one of those for absolutely certain so don't forget those companies when you're looking for your 2021 waterfowl needs
0: Alrighty. Well, before we jump them in there, you know, um, maybe go over a, a few updates. Um, but you know, uh, one thing that we definitely need to talk about is, um, Izzy Elliott. So, uh, you know, I'll kind of, I'll kind of, uh, give a little, a little update to that and, and let you take it from there. But, um, you know, our hunting dogs are something that are, you know, super special to us, you know, a life, life, a lifetime of hunts with them, you know, especially from their perspective so it's just something as hunters that we hold near and dear you know if you're a hunter at all that has a dog you you uh, understand completely what we're talking about
1: yeah so izzy was my first my second hunting dog but my first like real i really worked at training and during her life my waterfowl hunting went from you know I increased, I mean, it became a lot more serious. And so, you know, she was 13 and, and um, she started limping when she was about eight and um, that limp gotten increasingly worse. And and it was her front, right, front left paw. Then she, I don't know if you guys remember, if you follow my YouTube channel, she um, essentially tore her Achilles. It's not exactly called that, but that's basically what it is. And so these, Problems just became worse and worse and worse. So over the last, like, I mean, she hunted. Her last hunt was the 2019 season. She went on a couple, of 2019. and uh, 2020. Over that next year, she was starting to have. I um, think weren't exactly seizures, but they sure seemed like it. And and so, I don't know. Fast forward up to this point, she was basically deaf. She was struggling to get up the stairs. When she tried to sit up, I'd put my foot back behind and underneath her butt and kind of help her get up, which she could sit up, but it was difficult. And, you know, I, I just got tired of seeing her labor. I mean, she just, she was a shell of the dog that hunted with me. It wasn't even, it didn't even really seem like the same dog. I mean, I know it was, I'm just saying the Izzy that I hunted with was gone. And I just felt like it was time. I just felt like it was time. And I had a date set to put her down. And every time I started thinking about it, I started, it choked up. And so I just postponed. I was like, you know, because you don't want to do it too, too quick. You know, Jordan, I mean, you don't want to feel like, man, I could have, I could have hung on a little longer. Yeah. I could have hung on, but it just got to the point where, and I realized this now that she's gone. Having her hobble around all over the place was emotional weight. I didn't even know it was there. Um, I would go outside. She'd want to follow me. You know, she's my, you guys are hunting dogs. You know, what it is. They always want to be with you. They always want to be at your feet. They always want to be by. And Izzy still wanted to be that to me and just seeing her hobble everywhere and struggle to get up the steps. It was weighing on me emotionally in a way I didn't even realize it's been a real relief since she's gone. Um, but so the day came and and I had postponed it. It's okay. We're going to do it. We're just going gonna, to, we got we to gotta get done. So I scheduled it and everything. And I'm not, a, I'm not a big crier now. I don't think there's anything wrong with crying at all. Men should be able to cry, but I'm just not, I just don't, I just, I, I'm not a big crier. And so I just kept telling myself, I, uh, you know, I'm just going to w- walk right through this. It's just a dog. It's because ultimately there's a huge difference between a dog and a human, a dog, I don't believe has a, the same type of consciousness. I don't know. Dogs have souls. So I was telling myself, you know, I'm just going to walk right through this. It's going to be okay. It's just a dog. And I, I really kind of believed that, um, believed that. So my wife and I took her down to the kennel and we took her in there and, and they said, okay, we've got this shot. It's going to sedate her. And then after we sedate her, you're going to have some time. And, and, um, then after that, we'll, we'll euthanize her. So we were in the little room and, 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 They went and they sedated her. And at first she was, you know, um, she was just kind of, you could tell she was groggy and they left and everything. And, and I could tell that her, she was going to be asleep soon, not dead, but just from the sedation. And man, when I was trying to say goodbye to her, I just, I mean, I had my, I had her head in my hands and I was just all of those times that I spent with her. It's different. And Matt Farmer texted me and, and I believe he's right. He's like, it's just different people. And I know people love their pets. So I don't want to diminish that at all, but there I've had different pets. It's not the same as your hunting dog who goes on those adventures with you is by your side, loves those duck hunting every bit, as much as you do, you know, that is a different bond and experience than the non hunting pets that I've had. I've had to have a cat put down that I loved and, and so on. And man, when I had, her uh, little face in my hands and just telling her what a wonderful, wonderful dog. And she was a wonderful, wonderful dog. Now, she, does, she didn't have the genetic background that Georgie's got. And Georgie is going to be 10 times as good an actual hunter as Izzy was because of her bloodline. But Izzy was an amazing pet and companion. Just chill and cool and always got everything she should do. She was just a meat dog. She was just a, a fantastic meat dog that got everything that you expected her to got, was always game for trying, never made a hunt difficult, was always, you know, most of the time steady. She was just an easy, easy dog to hunt with, with a, with a good personality. And, you know, those, those last second goodbyes, it just, man, any idea that I was going to walk through that without, without losing, it was gone because, and that whole day just sucked. It just sucked. Um, I was wrecked for the whole day mm-hmm. and even into the next day, but I, I posted a little, uh, um, a picture of it, of us there. And I, I don't know if you saw the amount of people that I had commenting and reaching out to me was just overwhelming. It was such a comfort, the amount of people that, cause hunters get it, you know? And, but the support that I got from other people was just mind blowing. So yeah, that was that, I guess I got through it.
0: Yeah. No, that was yeah. Never easy telling your, uh, hunting companion goodbye. And, you know, it's, uh, it's like you said, you, you don't want to do it too soon, but in the same, the same way you don't want to do it too, too late and yeah. have them unneeded suffering and and all that as well. So, um, definitely felt for you on those days. And like you said, it definitely, definitely cool to, you know, so many people that were, you know, connected to Izzy by the, the content that you put out there and you know, and, and they're able to show their support to you as well, kind of, you know, uh, all of us hunters, like you said, we get it, you know?
1: Yeah. And I'm working on a video and I'll put one out in July or August with some highlights of her. And I, I didn't take video for actually being euthanized or anything, but I did take some video of that day. You kind of encouraged me to do that. And I'm glad you did. Cause I'll have some type of highlight video and I don't know. I don't know how many hours I'll put into it, but I'd like to have some form of closure because she was loved by a lot of the core FDH. I can't tell you how many people told me they cried. I mean, which is just like, they watched my videos enough and built enough of a bond with my dog that they actually cried at her passing, which I mean, what an, what an absolute tribute to that dog that she, that I presented on my videos in a way that people bond with her so much that they never met her but actually cried so i thought that was pretty i don't know i don't know what words to, to put to that surreal i guess and, and and honoring yeah
0: definitely definitely you know yeah that's that's a good way to put it so definitely well um you got any other updates you want to hit up
1: um, I guess real quick, just real fast, I'm prepping Georgie for her first HRC hunt test. I'm going. I um I plan on going up into Nebraska in um, June, and I'm not quite sure whether I'm gonna. So in HRC, there's started, seasoned, and and finished. And I've watched these videos. I think she could probably. Naively, I think she could pass for the best right now. Um, I've I've watched enough to see that but people keep saying in those environments with so many other dogs around and so many other people around, it's not the same Your dog acts crazy. If it was a controlled environment that I had set up those hunts that I see unfinished, she could pass them. Um, but I'm kind of thinking that since I've never, ever done a hunt test that I may just run her two days in a row and start and do started, which there's no way she's going to fail on that. I wouldn't think. And then the next day do seasoned. So you have to get four passes to be titled in a certain in a certain group. So I'd like to get her titled and seasoned um, at some point. And then I'd like to try her out and finished. And I don't know. I, I, I think my ultimate goal would be to have her titled and finished. Um, and and I don't think I will ever try to like qualify for the grand. My guess is that you have to do enough to be qualified to get into the grand and then a grand passes the ultimate limit or the ultimate um, four grand passes would be the ultimate in HRC because then you become, uh, I'm just learning the terminology. So if I get this wrong, um, don't email me about anything, but it's like <laughs> a, if you, if you pass four grands, then you are, there's a certain title for that. Yeah, but I, I can't imagine I'm a good enough trainer to get her to the grand, but I think I feel really confident that I can get her um, some passes and finished. And that's kind of what I'd like to do is have her titled and and finished would be Really really cool, and I, I don't know how deep i'm going to get into this hunt test stuff We'll have to see I've never been to it I've never been to it so yeah. I know georgie could uh, georgie is capable of is of anything she, this dog is so damn talented man I can't even tell you it's training her she's just so damn talented and um she can go as far as I can get her. She doesn't have any limitation if if chris i uh, maybe I'm foolish to even say this, but I feel like if Chris jobman was her trainer, she'd be. Have her four passes in grand by the time it's all set that's why i feel like that she's that kind of dog i know her dad is her dad has two grand passes now we'll probably end up in the hall of fame her mom's got a grand at least one or two grand passes so i just don't know how far elliot (laughs) can get her it's my limitations as a trainer not her limitations as a dog but i'm following freddie's videos and we're going to have chris jobman come on here pretty soon and we're going to talk a lot about this stuff so I don't know. We'll, we'll see how far I'm excited. This is a new part of my waterfowling life. Um, this whole hunt test thing. So I'm really excited about it. And I'm, I've moved into water tea with her and where she's just, she's just taking every challenge on just, you know, and and so we'll see, but we'll we'll see. It's exciting. It's really exciting.
0: Oh yeah. I'm excited to see kind of where you take it and, and all that along and, and follow you along the journey. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes.
1: And that video will be out on YouTube in August too. I'm going to vlog that whole thing. I'm going to video her hunt test. So trust me, you guys, if you're if you follow my YouTube channel, you'll see it. I know that's dog training stuff is more of a niche thing. Um, then, but I, I want to show it. I want to show it to people who want to see it. Uh, it's going to be exciting. So if she fails, you will see her fail.
0: <laughs> awesome. It's going to be cool. Well, only update I'm going to give is uh, on the bus update. Still churning away, maybe not getting out there as much as I'd like, but every chance I get, you know, I jump out there, and, man, I've probably torn out, like, over a 1,000 rivets. And so I'm in the, the final phase, I think, of the rivets, I hope. So that's where I'm at. I, th- I think I texted yeah. text you last night. Yeah. I can't remember if I texted you. It was you. Yeah, well, I, I pulled – I was using a crowbar and pulling on the rivets, and the crowbar – Came free, the rivet didn't, and the crowbar oh, just smacked it. me. I saw that. It literally oh, yeah. cracked me right across the skull. So oh. I
1: saw it was all red. Didn't bleed, but it looked like a little bit of a lump. Do you still yeah. have a lump there? I
0: still have a lump and a red spot on there, but
1: <laughs> ow, yeah, I can see it. Ouch. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't feel good.
0: <laughs> Did you curse? Uh, I didn't. No, I, I literally I closed <laughs> my eyes. I threw down the the tools on the ground, and then I was like, oh yes, it's on video because I'm filming <laughs> it. But <laughs> if you're gonna have something <laughs> stupid like that happen. You at least need to have the cameras running so <laughs> that's
1: right that's right yeah. that's going to be a cool video i love your videos like i really liked your when you made the dog pen for some reason i like it when you do that style of video and when you did your boat line so this whole i can't wait to see the finished product of that video that's cool.
0: awesome yeah uh, hopefully it should be good i just need to keep churning away chipping at it a little bit little and season will be here before we know it so i got to get it going but yeah Alrighty, let's go ahead, we'll grab uh, David on the phone line, and and, uh, jump right into hearing all about New Zealand. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits, well that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and i got my co-host alongside me, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, Mr. Graybeard himself, and our guest for tonight is David Clean. He is the game bird manager for the Auckland region of New Zealand. Auckland, Auckland. <laughs> a- <laughs> sorry, Auckland, Auckland, like Orca. <laughs> Auckland region of New Zealand. I told him beforehand I was gonna butcher it. We practiced a few times, so I'm sorry if I I screwed it up a little bit. Um, but how are you doing tonight, man?
2: Hey, yeah, uh, awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely super excited to have you on here tonight. Um, we've never had anyone from New Zealand. We talked about this a little before the podcast, but we've never had anyone from New Zealand on the podcast. So me and Elliot are super interested to hear all about um, your duck hunting that you have over there. And I know you guys are just getting into your season, which um, definitely makes me a little jealous because we are months away from um, when we'll be seeing any ducks here. So <laughs> um, it'll be it'll be a fun one. Um, but yeah, first thing first thing to kind of jump into it, you know. Go ahead, kind of give us the rundown of um, what your job title is and what you do kind of um, over there from a day-to-day.
2: All right. Um, yeah, so I'm a game be manager over here for our fishing game. Um, we've got 12 regions. So we're in the Auckland Waikato region, which is sort of uh, in the northern part of the North Island, northern to central part of the North Island. And day to day, look, it's pretty variable. Um, we're a very small outfit compared to what you would probably expect from over in the states. We're all um, solely funded by license payer money, so we don't get any form of central government funding or anything like that. So basically, if people buy a hunting license, a game bird hunting license, or freshwater fishing license, that's how we how we get our money. And um, man, I can be. One day, we, for example, on our opening weekend, which was last weekend, we we're out there doing compliance work, so I'm making sure that everyone's sticking to the rules when it comes to duck shooting. Um, I can be in court giving evidence on legislation and, and ensuring that you know habitats for game birds and freshwater sure sports fish are, are being well looked after. Um, and then, you know, we do a lot of science, we do a lot of um, research, monitoring, we run the banding program over here, for example, so um, obviously all the duck band's coming in right now, so collecting, collating data, writing reports, and uh, also do a lot of wetland restoration work with um, with both with private landowners and, and other state agencies um, to try and, you know, get more waterfall, waterfowl habitat out there. So, yeah, that's a pretty brief description, I guess... Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none is probably
0: how uh, we sum it up this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, David, here's
3: how I heard of you. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but Jordan and I both have YouTube channels that are fairly popular waterfowl channels. And so I get, I tend to get contacted by New Zealand hunters from time to time. And so I had um, a New Zealand hunter that we, I've been talking back and forth and everything. And, and I knew that you guys' waterfowl season was starting up, and so I asked him. I said, "Give me the one name. I want the most educated, either manager or game warden, or like who can you give me?" And you're the name he gave me. He gave me. So you must be uh, well um, thought of in the waterfowl community over there.
2: <laughs> He's the name I got. Man, those broad broads must really be paying off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: awesome so you know kind of you know maybe educate us a little bit about new zealand and um, the hunting over there you know it's definitely something that we hear about as far as um, people going over to new zealand you know you got a lot of big game um, the waterfowl as well Um, but you know as far as like hunting heritage and hunting history um, how how would you describe it as far as the country of new zealand
2: Could take a while, but um, we're obviously quite a new uh, culture in regards to I guess when settlers came over here first. And um, the key, one of the key differences between here and let's say England, which obviously um, is where a lot of the early settlers came from, is back in the 1600s it was basically made illegal for most common folk to hunt over there unless you are part of the aristocracy. And the were that settled here decided that that shouldn't be the way that New Zealand is managed. And um, so it's very much set up in an egalitarian system where everyone has the right to hunt and fish and provide food for their families through that methodology. So that led to some pretty interesting laws. So, for example, in New Zealand, it is illegal to sell hunting and fishing rights. So... um, Obviously, game is managed and special fish are managed in the interest of the recreational hunters, but you also can't derive a profit. Um, and I think that's slightly different to what you have over there, where obviously you can't sell the game directly after you've harvested it, but I believe you can obviously lease land, for example, for hunting purposes. But over here, that, that would be illegal. So I guess that's kept it relatively easy for most people to access land including private land to hunt and you know there might be the odd box of beers that gets exchanged or um some you know waterfowl given to the landowner at the end of a hunt or something like that but um you know there's no real big money in in it over here and um and that's what keeps it accessible for your everyday man i guess and um yeah so that's kind of a i guess an interesting part of our hunting culture over here and um The other interesting part, which a lot of you listeners may not be aware of, is that our big game species over here are managed by different departments. They're not managed by fish and game, primarily because they're not considered as game by the other department, which is the Department of Conservation. And um, there's no limits or seasons or um, any real restrictions on big game hunting in New Zealand. So you can get a free permit. Get out into the public lands of New Zealand and shoot yourself uh, a deer anytime. In fact, I went out Tuesday morning before work with my neighbour and we shot a deer. Um, and so, big game hunting is completely different here to, um, to how waterfowl and freshwater fisheries are managed. Um, and so, yeah, game birds and trout fishing or salmon fishing, you need a license over here. And um, yeah, we charge about 100 New Zealand dollars for a season license for game bird hunting I guess that's about 70 US dollars. Um, so again affordable and then you get free permits to access either fish and game land or Department of Conservation land so that doesn't cost you anything and um, you can go and hunt that land.
3: So as far as big game goes um, what are the major big game that people hunt over there? I mean you said deer. What kind of deer and then what other just big game are out there?
2: So we got seven different species of deer and we've also got uh, tar, chamois, um, probably missing a few there as well, um, well pigs obviously. Um, so yeah, we've got um, for example our, our red deer is probably the most common deer that, that you would have heard about and we've just finished the peak rut, although there were still a few stags roaring on Tuesday. Um, so we call it the roar. Cause, uh, a red stag has got quite a deep Guttural sort of roaring noise um, and hunters imitate them just like you do with your elk over there. Um, so yeah, April is the peak rut for most of our severed um, species over here. So um, You've got the wapiti, which are down in a certain part of the South Island. We've got sallow over here. We've got red deer. We've got rooster deer. We've got samba deer. Um, we've got some whitetail, um, although they're The racks on the white tail over here are slightly smaller than what you'd get over in in the States. Um, So yeah, there's quite a wide variety, and it really depends on where you are. Our seca deer is the other main deer species. Um, So they're not ubiquitous right throughout the country, all those different deer species. Red deer are, and fallow deer would be the second most common. But then the other deer species have got smaller sort of subpopulations scattered throughout the country. Um, But yeah, so if you're looking at a time to come to New Zealand and you want to get in your... If you've got a fair bit of time and you want to get in your big game hunting fix, April, and then bang, you straight into the uh, waterfowl season in May. So those would be the two months if you wanted to do both. Um, you get them back-to-back, and uh, you're pretty tired by the end of it, and, and your wife <laughs> is probably wanting you to stay home a bit after that. Yeah. Sure.
3: So it's winter over there right now.
2: Well, yeah, it's coming into winter, so um, we're in late autumn, um, start of winter. Um, Under normal circumstances, you'd say we should be in winter, but it has been hot and dry. Um, So it's almost more like autumn at the moment still, but um, yeah, we are coming into winter now. So imagine it's probably
3: universal that all waterfowlers, no matter what country, hate hot and dry. It's a water hot and
2: dry, it's been a tough start to the season here. Um, yeah, it's uh, missing the fog. Um, we have had no wind and no rain for the first uh, six days of our, our season, so it has just been calm, clear, bit of frost, bit of fog, and then hot days, um, so the birds aren't moving. And also, we've had in our particular region up here, um, We've had a pretty severe back-to-back drought now, and obviously that has had a pretty significant impact on both adult survival rates. We've had some some botulism outbreaks um, over the last couple of years, some quite severe ones, probably some of the worst we've ever had. And then also on recruitment. You know, So we had a much lower juvenile ratio in our population this year. We're down about 50 60% on juvenile birds. So... Again, couple that with the conditions, and yeah, it's been a tough start up here. But then uh, the juxtaposition of that is, for example, down the bottom of the South Island. So we talked about it previously. We've got a long country and uh, from north to south. And up north, we tend to have almost a subtropical climate. And down south, why well, you wouldn't call it sub-Antarctic. But it, it gets a lot colder and a lot wetter down there. And you know, the average rainfall is much greater on the west coast of the South Island than it is up here and they had a great breeding year and so they've got, according to the locals down there, more ducks than ever and and we're doing a bit tough up here at the moment. Um, And that all sort of relates back to the type of duck, Um, I guess, the way our ducks uh, live over here. We don't have a flyway like you do in the States. Um, There's no real large-scale movements apart from one of our bird species, the shoveler. So, our mallard population, which is the mainstay of our hunting, relatively sedentary. We shoot 90% of our ducks within 10 kilometres of our banding sites up here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they don't move far, and um, obviously that's got some advantages in the fact that we can manage our local populations um, without having to convince a whole lot of other regions to set regulations based on how the ducks are moving through those regions, but also if you have a bad breeding season in one location, there's no birds coming in from other areas to to fill that, um, you know, fill that niche. So yeah, that's a in a nutshell, I guess, uh, some of the management issues we have, and maybe some differences to what you have over in in the states.
3: It's not really a migration. It's, it's just birds that are born and raised and live in the same area all the time, and they never
2: really leave. Correct. Yeah, that's it. Um, So that's why, too, there's such a heavy, I guess, um, presence and and quite a high emphasis placed on opening weekend of the duck shooting season over here. You you get a lot of hunters that will actually only go out opening weekend because for them that's the easiest time to bag birds because there's there's no influx of new birds that haven't seen a lot of decoys or some mojos or um, everything else, you know, or have been screamed at by a whole lot of duck callers um, emanating from duck blinds. So those birds that you're hunting, they get pretty smart pretty quickly. Um, so a lot of people go out opening weekend and it's definitely a harvest is skewed heavily towards the first weekend and also the first two weeks of the game bird hunting season. That being said, um, I find some of my best hunting occurs later in the season when there are less hunters about. Um, the birds settle down again a little bit. And you just find those little, you know, if you do the leg work and you find those areas that haven't been hunted hard, those birds that are tucked up somewhere, and um, it's better than opening day, you get a bit of weather, the birds are moving. Yeah, I find, um, you know, for those guys that want to do the work, later season hunting there's some phenomenal opportunities
0: here awesome so one thing you kind of mentioned there you got the the mallard is kind of your staple bird and um i was curious because i'm not sure is it the the same as the the mallard we have over here as far as the greenhead um and all that or is it a different kind of species
2: okay so we um imported that back in the around um 19, well, there's some early importations, but the main ones happened around the 1910 to 1930, and there was a mix of, um, of mallards that came from both the UK and from the States. So uh, one man, Sir Cecil Whitney, um, from the old CAC Ammunitions Company, brought a whole lot of birds over, and then there was releases all over the place. So yeah, the, the, we, and up to about, well, estimated 30,000 birds were released, by the then Acclimatization Society. So back in those days, we didn't have Fish and Game and the Department of Conservation, we just had the Acclimatization Society. And the Acclimatization Society, as the name suggests, we're busy liberating introduced species over here um, for the purpose of recreational hunting um, and fishing opportunities. And so our mallards have um, come from these, different stocks and also we have got a grey duck over here which is um, the same as your Pacific black duck or um, mm. you know, similar looking bird and there's been some genetic integration both ways so you know, both mallards are hybridized with grey duck and grey duck have hybridized with mallards and so we've got this sort of genetic swarm out there and it means that some of our birds are pretty motley looking and we don't get too many really nice you know pure green heads um drakes so um yeah we tend to have a lot of birds that look like they're in eclipse plumage but year round um so yeah they're not genetically pure over here because there's been this hybridization that's occurred over the last you know 80 years
0: 90 years gotcha and as far do you have like pintails and spoonbills and until, and and I guess just go ahead and you know, let us know all, all the species you guys get to hunt over there.
2: Okay, so we've got um, the mallard duck, which is introduced. We've got um, pheasants, uh, ring uh, ringneck pheasants, which are introduced as well. Chaka, which are introduced. Uh, California quail, which are introduced. And then the native ducks that we're allowed to hunt over here, we've got shoveler duck. Um, so the are Australasian shoveler duck. Um, they're pretty cool-looking birds. They've got bright blue. Um, the drakes have got bright blue plumage characteristics and the spoonbill, which they use to sift out for feeding. Um, Paradise shell which um, uh, almost like a... Uh, they sound a little bit like a sick goose when they're calling, um, and that's one that a lot of uh, American hunters like to come over and target. They, they're relatively easy to decoy, quite big-bodied birds, and um, just something different. You tend to be able to shoot a lot of them when you're shooting over fields, um, so, you know, layout blinds and that kind of thing. And a lot of the time when you're targeting geese, you can shoot those as well. We've got the paradise shell duck, you said? Paradise shell duck? Yeah, paradise
3: shell
2: duck. Yeah, oh, so... Okay. Yeah, so there's the female, it's, it's strange, actually, because the female has the more um, interesting plumage characteristics, so the female's got like the white head and the the brown body while the male has just got a pure black body. Um, so obviously up. with most waterfowl the, the males tend to have um, the the brighter plumage. Um this one. We we run things differently over here. Our native birds they, they like to mix it up. And do um, those really um,
3: arc mallards
2: where they circle and, and decoy well? Um yeah they decoy a lot better than mallards. Um they're not look no, to be honest they're not the hardest bird to hunt. They're a really good bird for junior hunters in particular. Um, you don't need, you can just use silhouettes um, for them. Just big, you know, even if you just, I saw one guy shooting once and he just had a whole lot of, uh, he was hunting in a paddock. He just had a whole lot of um, like black drain pipe that he'd stuck in a paddock that kind of resembled the look of what a, a duck might look like. And uh, he'd shot a few birds over that. So, um And they're quite susceptible to, um, to mojos as well any spinning wing um sort of decoy Beautiful. in amongst your spreads yeah yeah they're, they're cool okay. birds um and they're, they're they're relatively abundant um and yeah they're they're really easy decoying so um and in some places you've got really high limits for them as well okay i didn't mean to
3: interrupt you keep going with keep, i just i looked at that up, no, that's, wait, that's, what a fascinating bird that is so keep going with your rest of, of
2: that. yeah it's cool no worries um so we've got the black swan as well. Um, there were some introductions of black swan from um, Australia over here, so there's still a bit of debate whether or not the current species of black swan is the indigenous one. Um, there's a slight difference in fossil records between um, the, the black swan we have here now and what was here, what was found in, in middens. So the middens are um, a sort of Māori, uh, which are the indigenous people of New Zealand there, sites where they, they're, they're rubbish dumps, essentially, um, where there's some carcasses and so on, and, and bones. Um, so you know, there's still some sort of debate whether or not it's the same species or whether or not those introductions have actually meant they're better than introduced species. Currently, they're still listed as native. And then we've got uh, Pukeko as well, which is um, like a coot, almost, and... Um, Quite underrated table birds. The New Zealand listeners won't uh, won't believe me. Um, there's this old joke in New Zealand that you, uh, you if you want to eat a pukeko, you you grab an old leather boot, you grab the pukeko, you bore them all for five hours, and then you throw the pukeko away and eat the boot. Um, I don't know if you've heard a similar thing over there, yeah, but um, yeah. the, the pukeko breasts are actually um, really good eating. Um, yeah, the leg meat's full of sinew, but um, the breast meat's... It's delicious, not quite as uh, dark and gamey as um, as some of the other birds. So, yeah, that's about that's about the extent of the, the birds we have here um, to hunt. And then obviously we've got peafowl and and turkeys as well. They're not considered um, so peacocks and, and turkeys. They're not considered as game birds. And I think as I mentioned to you earlier, um, a lot of people actually like to get rid of. Uh, turkeys off their properties. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's quite a different concept over here, hunting turkeys to what it is in, uh, in the States. No natural predators. Um, you know, some of the farms I hunt would have over a 1,000 turkeys, and they tend to be mobbed up in lots of 30 or 40. Um, and you know, so we can go out there and basically harvest as many as, as we want, when we want. And, um, you know, again, underrated table bird, a lot of people over here wouldn't even eat them, um, and I love them. You know, I do all sorts of stuff with turkey. Um, you know, I smoke the breasts up, and, yeah, as you guys know, over there, they are actually quite a, um, a good table bird. So, um, And then the last one, which is no longer a game bird, is the Canada goose. And um, if you like goose hunting, New Zealand is your mecca because you can do it year-round here. Um, there are no limits, no restrictions on tags. Um, so, you know, if you have a good day on the geese, um, you know, a group of four or five of you, if you're in the right place, you could probably, you know, take down a couple of hundred geese in a day. Um, and again, they're problematic for some landowners. So, fishing game did have the management of them up until 2011, and there's some lobbying from the agricultural sector in particular who wanted them removed as a game bird and Put onto Schedule Five of the Wildlife Act, which is uh, Schedule One birds, are game birds. Schedule Five birds, are no, you know, basically birds that aren't controlled. Um, and that was successful. But since then, essentially, there has been no management of those birds. So previously, fishing game organised shoots or culls in order to try and control numbers and so on. And in our region, the we still count them annually as part of our waterfowl census. And in our region, since 2011, the numbers have more than quadrupled. Um, so in my opinion, it was a bit of an own goal to take those off the game bird schedule and put them on a schedule where basically no one was doing any active management because you know, they're a highly adaptable, intelligent species, and um, they have no natural predators just like turkeys over here. So if you don't manage them, Numbers are going to grow and, and grow exponentially, essentially. So, look, if you end up coming to these shores, um, or any of your listeners come to these shores, um, great opportunity to hunt geese over here.
1: I'm really, I'm really
3: curious about the hunting culture over there. So over here in the U.S., I mean, like Jordan and myself, we're pretty much, you know, we we do a little bit of turkey hunt, but we're pretty much all waterfowl. And uh, and then in the waterfowl community, you've got some guys. They're just hardcore duck hunters, and I'm, I'm kind of in that category. And you have some guys that are hardcore goose hunters. As far as the hunting culture over there, um, do you have how many people waterfowl hunt? are people fanatic? Are there some people that are just fanatic about it, like here in the US? And with the with the Canada, like if you opened up here, Canada goose all year round, you'd have people that hunted 200 days a year. I mean, because they're just so it becomes part of their life, part of their identity. So is that same culture over there in New Zealand where some guys are just, they live live for chasing waterfowl?
2: Yeah, look, I guess it's all proportionate to population and scale to some extent. I mean, you know, we're a country of 5 million people. Um, so I'm sure we still, you know, that what I call the, the 5% is maybe, um, maybe it's less than that, the 1% is that are just mad keen waterfowl hunters. Um they just like you say live for it. Um we definitely have those people here. I deal with them all the time. They're passionate. You know, they're keen. We have some really good conversations and debates about waterfowl management and so on. Um we definitely have them here, but I guess we just have less of them based on our population. Um I'd say look if I had to you know give a Stereotype, I guess, or a generalization, I, I would say that most New Zealand hunters would be more generalists That we've got so much opportunity here between, you know, big game hunting to, you know, waterfowl hunting to all the other hunting of, um, of the likes of, you know, your, your rabbits and hares again, no seasons on anything, um, any small game. Um, so I'd say generalist be more applicable to the average New Zealand hunter, but we definitely have those hardcore guys that just go waterfowling and that's all they want
0: to do. Awesome. Just to kind of put that in perspective as far as, like, the population thing, uh, I just did a quick Google search and, and uh, you know, you said 5 million people. I'm like, what, what is the population of Indiana, the state I live in? And it's 6 million. So it's like, man, um, New Zealand is kind of a, a smaller uh, population than, you know, uh, compared to the U.S., which is uh, huge, huge compared to that number, but um, definitely interesting. Kind of, kind of wrap my my brain around <laughs> kind of what you're talking about. And as far as the size in New New Zealand, um, we talked about that a little bit before the podcast, but you know, I think that's an interesting fact as well. And I actually, while you're telling us what the size was, I took um, I googled that as well, and. And, uh, you know, if you guys are listening to this, grab your phone, do a quick search, do overlay of New Zealand over the U.S. It's pretty interesting to to kind of see that it gives you a good kind of perspective um, as far as uh, most of our listeners over here in the U.S. Um, But, yeah, you'll probably do a better job of describing it than me. But what is the the size of New, New Zealand over there?
2: Now you're asking questions. Um, I'm not exactly sure on exactly how big we are. You might you might have to cut that. It looks like New Zealand. Yeah, I don't actually know, 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 know mean, the, the the exactly the square kilometres or fifty square miles. Are always uh, trying to uh, find out what the what the conversion rate is. Um, yeah.
3: So the map that I just pulled up, essentially, if you were to start New Zealand kind of right at the tip of Florida, it would almost go up to New York. So it's essentially the same length and almost width as our East Coast is, really. Yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah, that's
3: right. People, so I mean, we, how, Five million people nothing for that. I
2: mean, that's a low
3: population density.
2: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that's right. And we've obviously got a lot of our population constrained to um, – our big cities our urban areas as well. Mm-hmm. So once you get out into the rural network, again, it's, uh, you know, real low population density, and especially in the South Island. Um, so, yeah, about 270,000 square Ks, and I don't know what that is in square miles, I'm sorry, um, gotcha.
0: that's, that's no problem. <laughs> is
2: the area of New Zealand.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. When you go on waterfowl
2: hunting in public
3: areas, um, do you pretty much always have areas to yourself, or are there some places where you see a lot of people get packed in where you'll see other hunters you don't know out around you, or is it open?
2: Look, in our, in our region, we, we sell the most licenses out of any region. We sell about 7,000 a year. And um, there are, you know, especially on opening weekends, <clears throat> which, um, you know, is like I said, the busiest time pretty much. 95% of out there on the opening weekend because you've got a lot of naive juvenile birds around which are susceptible to water being harvested. Um, there is competition for places, and um, yeah, there are, you will go out to, to lakes or wetlands, and there's a rule in New Zealand on public lands, that, um, and this is Enshrined in the Wildlife Act, which was written in 1953, which probably needs to be updated, that essentially on public land you can tag a spot when you buy your license, you get a claim tag, and you can claim a spot on public land providing it 's not within ninety meters of another position. So it does mean that in some areas that are sought after, you do have hunters packed in quite closely to one another. but then, after the opening weekend, um, you can find a spot anywhere on public land and the rule is that basically after an hour of the start of of hunting. Um, And we've got pretty liberal start and finish times here. Um, There's none of this um, half an hour after sunrise and half an hour before sunset finishing. They're just fixed times in pretty much all of the regions. And you can start relatively early and finish relatively late um, compared to what you can in the States. But an hour after the legal start of hunting, um, you can go and find any spot on public land and pack up there, um, any other. So we call them Mai Mai's over here, which is basically a, a duck blind. But some of them are quite elaborate. You know, they have, uh, especially the ones on private land, you know, you'll have almost what would be, would be akin to a little hut with a cooker and a stove and and bed potentially in it and a shooting platform out the front. Um I guess we like to hunt in comfort over here. And uh, so we've got these shooting blinds called Mai Mai's. And if you find a Mai, Mai that isn't occupied, then it becomes yours for the day. So even if a hunter were to come along who actually built that hunting stand and he had his tag on it, um, if you were there legitimately within the prescribed times, he would have to go and find another spot to hunt. So that's how it works. And there's plenty of opportunity after opening weekend to find a spot pretty much anywhere on public land to hunt in, in this country.
3: Is most of the water harvesting done out of those little huts?
2: A lot of it is, especially for the guys that, you know, not the 5%ers that are super keen. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say I'd probably do about 50-50 personally. And, you know, again, if you go to find... Um, if you're trying to find birds rather than waiting for the birds to come to you, um, you know, wherever you find the birds, that's where you set up obviously. So you don't necessarily have a nice comfy (laughs) duck blind to sit in. Um, so it really depends. I look, a lot of hunters in New Zealand would only hunt from my mice. I think that would be a fair comment.
0: Awesome. So, um, as far as the, the, well, we already said that. So, um, as far as public perception goes in New Zealand, you know, in, in the U.S., I mean, we have some amount of anti-hunters and people who wouldn't want us to be able to um, keep doing what we're doing, you know. Um, how does that compare to New Zealand? Is, is there any political pressure to have duck hunting or hunting in general shut down? Are there groups that lobby against it? Or is it just kind of widely accepted as part of life?
2: Yeah, I guess we're luckier to some degree because it is relatively well enshrined in our culture, um over here. Um, having said that, there are definitely pressures and you we know, are we're definitely cognizant of you know, needing to ensure that we as sportsmen represent ourselves in a good light over here and um, you know, certainly if you look at our neighbours across the ditch in, in Australia, um they have had certain states over there have essentially banned waterfowl hunting. Um, so, and the same pressures exist here. I guess um, one thing, you know, we, the other thing for us is that because we mainly manage introduced species, again, um, that leads us in an interesting sort of predicament at times, because obviously for some people they don't value introduced species at all um, and would rather have them gone off the landscape. You know, if they could click their fingers and make the mallard duck disappear, there's a lot of people out there that would probably like that to happen. Um, Whilst, obviously, for us hunters and and fishermen, we really value those introduced species. So there's that interesting dynamic to consider as well, just from a conservation perspective, not necessarily from an animal rights perspective or... um, yeah, so um, having said that, you know, the other thing is I think we we were quite fortunate as well as that we play a really strong environmental advocacy role for fishing game over here and um, so we spend a lot of time preserving wetlands ensuring that water quality standards are improved within our, our lakes and rivers and I think some people may begrudgingly <laughs> appreciate um, the work that we do um, in that realm, and quite simply, if we didn't have trout and ducks over here, and hunters and anglers that were buying licences, we couldn't do that work. Uh, and we're one of the only non-government organisations that actually, apart from you know some, some other you know, there's forest and bird and, and a few others that that would. Do some of that conservation work, but I think it's fair to say that we would be the main non-government organisation that really gets in there. I mean, we're responsible for getting most of the water conservation orders, um, preserving some of our unique unique places in the country um, across the line. Um, so I think, to some extent, the work we do in the environmental realm then also helps give us gives us the social licence to operate um, when it comes to our hunting. And so, yeah, it might be slightly different, but look, we certainly have, you know, we have protesters that we deal with. Um, we have animal rights groups that um, obviously are completely opposed to well, the killing of any animal, but especially duck hunting. So, yep, it is something that we face as well.
3: Is, uh, is the mallard duck, by your hardcore waterfowl, like in, in the United States, the mallard is pretty much the supreme duck is sought after by most most hunters. Is that the same in New Zealand, or is it a little less so because they are introduced?
2: No, I'd still say, the, well, the Mallard definitely makes up the mainstay. I mean, you know, 85% of the harvest in our region is, is Mallard um, duck. Um, by far, you yeah, know, right across the board, it is, is the most hunted duck. Um, look, I think if you... I've asked this question before in our harvest surveys and um, mallard definitely comes out on top. Um, Seasant came second actually when I just simply, when we asked the question about which species hunters valued the highest. Um, So that doesn't necessarily compute to what numbers are being harvested but just simply the value that hunters place on those different birds. So yeah, mallard still came out on top. um, I think Shoveler are prized by some people because they're a bit less common. Um, but then other people don't even shoot shoveler um, because they aren't so common and they just like having them around because they're cool looking birds. So, yeah, the mallard um, still comes out on top in that realm as well, even though they are introduced. And again, I think you know, it's such a different dynamic for us because we largely hunt all of our game, including you know our big game, is all introduced. So I think we just have a different perspective on that. Um, but, yeah, it is, I don't know, personally I'm slightly conflicted by it um, at times because, um, you know, I see a position in, in the States, um, how your model of conservation works over there and how, you know, those native species um, being you know, belong to the landscape, if you will, and and sometimes I do feel a bit different about that over here. So yeah, I think for some hunters maybe, but for the most of them, um, the mallet is still definitely number
0: one. Awesome. Um, so kind of, uh, round this, this podcast out and, you know, it's definitely super cool to hear about all the opportunities over there in New Zealand and and hunting it. And, um, you know, it's always been kind of in the back of my mind, uh, to, you know, hopefully someday it'd be it'd be awesome to get out there and hunt. Are are people that come, uh, you know, foreigners that come to New Zealand, are they welcomed by other hunters, or what's the kind of perception as far as people getting out there to hunt?
2: Yeah, look, I think in general New Zealand is a pretty welcoming place. You know, um, we a large portion of our GDP relies on tourism, and I think you'll find that if, if yeah once. The dust settles on COVID and we actually allow people to come back into our country. Um, you know, if people are keen to come over here, I'd just say jump on social media, go onto some of the New Zealand waterfowl pages, introduce yourself, um, you know, say that you're keen to come over and experience what we experience over here. and I think you'd be taken up pretty readily by people yeah, I don't think it'd necessarily be an expensive exercise, um, and I think people, you know, I take out people quite regularly, finders that over on these shores. We had some guys over from the US um, a few years ago um, from California Waterfowl Association. Bit of a program running with them. They come over and we we take them down to the duck hut and show them our way of hunting. And so I think you'd find some pretty good uptake. Um, and also, if you wanted to do a DIY hunt over here. Again, if you just got hold of the fishing game area where you wanted to hunt, um, get hold of someone like myself, staff member there, pretty forthcoming with information, explaining where you can and can't go, um, your permit requirements and all of that. And it's, yeah, uh, you know, there's actually no differentiation between on the game bird side of things between, um, you know, foreigners or, or New Zealanders or Kiwis as we call ourselves. Um, so there's ample opportunity here.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, David, we, r- we really appreciate you coming on. Um, awesome podcast tonight, learning all about uh, New Zealand. So, um, that's all. That's all I got. Any closing words from you, Elliot? Are we we're we
3: not gonna do the lightning round. I I'm curious on the lightning round question. <laughs> we got we got we got to
0: pull out the light. All right, you're right. You're right. We'll close it off with the lightning round. Definitely a good save there. Uh, so lightning that lightning round, quick questions with quick answers helps us to get to know you. A little bit more as a hunter. So, what gun do you shoot?
2: I'm using a Beretta Extrema at the moment.
0: And what what ammo do you run?
2: I'm using BMP. Uh, they're actually a European load, <clears throat> so I'm using the Italian one, which is i I'm using a three-inch twos, one and a six um, ounce loads. Um, they're slightly different size to the American Ryan so they'd be more like an American three-and-a-half.
3: Okay, <laughs> okay and then- what, what is the metal? What is the metal that, that you want to do
2: that? Is steel. Steel? Or yeah.
3: Okay. You
2: guys have to shoot steel yeah. over there? So, yeah, over water, and um, within yeah. 200 meters of waterway, you use steel. Um, if you're hunting maize double or something like that and you're not near a waterway, you can still shoot lead over there, and obviously you got you know your tanks and business or other <clears throat> non-toxic shock uh non-toxic shot varieties that you can use um as a substitute for steel
0: awesome and, and was that a 12 gauge you're shooting as well yeah, 12 gauge, yeah awesome and then what shot size do you use for geese you just run number twos for everything
2: um no i've got a few uh bbs and a few three and a half inch loads there in case uh we get a few flying past the the my mind so um yeah i do uh, have a few different different options depending on where the birds are flying from and how high they're coming past so
0: yeah awesome and then uh what is your favorite habitat to hunt
2: oh well, good question <clears throat> i i prefer the the swamps and and the lakes probably um yeah just something about the diversity of, of wildlife you see in those areas. Um, you know, its not you're not just seeing <clears throat> game birds the whole time. Um, but we've got some pretty other cool endemic indigenous critters over here which, which hang out in those areas. Plus, just the vastness of some of those big wetlands. Um, very easy to get lost in if you don't have a GPS. So, yeah, I just enjoy getting into those and away from it all.
0: Awesome. And, uh, what, what, um, type of choke do you run as far as, uh, you know, uh, modified or full choke or, or whatnot?
2: Yeah, I normally run an improved cylinder and depending on on where I'm hunting, um, obviously if, um, if I'm looking at somewhere where I'm getting a lot of passing shots, I do have, um, a pattern master as well, which is a full field choke, um, so it just depends really on the circumstances. But um, most of the time, I'm just running an improved the, um with the shot size I'm using. And <clears throat> that gun and that shot seems to pattern nicely for me. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the main one.
0: And what is the best thing and worst thing about hunting in New Zealand? The best thing
2: about hunting in New Zealand is the opportunities that we have and the fact that it's so affordable, and um, you know, the fact that it basically you have unrestricted access to a resource, and you can hunt 365 days of the year if you want to over here for a variety of species. So that's pretty awesome. I don't, I'm not aware of any other place in the world where you have the opportunities that we have here. The worst thing this year. <clears throat> is the conditions <laughs> and the fact that there's no birds flying. Um, that's probably the worst thing this year. But no, in, in general, I can't really think of a negative um, of hunting over here, to be honest. Um, like I said, I think we're extremely lucky to have the opportunities that we have. <clears throat> and I just, I don't think all Kiwis entirely appreciate how good we have it. Um, so I encourage, you know, I always encourage people to go overseas, go to a place like Europe. And just see how difficult it is to be able to enjoy the things that we enjoy here. And we just take it for granted a lot of the time. Um, Yeah, we're we're pretty lucky.
0: Awesome. All righty. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Been an awesome podcast. Definitely very informative for us as well. Um, Now, Elliot, I'll, I'll pass it to you if you got any last words.
3: You have one thing that you didn't touch on. Uh, how many ducks can you
2: shoot in a day? I was going to get there because I thought you'd want to know that. (laughs) (laughs) And also the season length. So, (laughs) because we've got 12 fishing fishing game regions um, throughout the country and each one sets its own regulations because we're dealing with as I mentioned sedentary species that don't really migrate between the regions. So it really depends on what the populations are doing in each of the regions. So, in our region at the moment, we've got a daily bag limit of, of 10 mallard and grey ducks or dabbling ducks. That includes up to two shovels <laughs> ducks. On top of that, you can then go shoot your, your 10 paradise shell ducks. Um, you can shoot another 10 tukikos, um, on top of that. If you want, um, you've got two black swan in most of our region and one part of our region you can shoot another 20 black swan <laughs> on top of that. Um, yeah, and then uh, you've got up to five, or in our region, so three pheasants a day, three cock pheasants a day. Um, so, yeah, and that's, you know, like we haven't, <laughs> by a long shot, we haven't got the most liberal bag limits. So parts of the South Island, like the Central South Island, <laughs> for example, you can shoot 50 mallards a day
3: Holy down cow.
2: there. Um Yeah, and to be fair, the South Island, like I said to you, there's a real differentiation between um, duck numbers between the North and the South at the moment. Parts of the North Island has got, you know, relatively good numbers, but we've also got really high hunting pressure down there. You know, there's regions in the South Island, like the West Coast, where they only sell 300 licences a year, and it's an area almost the size of our region. So you can imagine there's areas down there where the, Harvest pressure is next to nothing. And so their limits are extremely liberal. And the Central South Island has got really um, liberal limits as well. So it really depends on each region. So you get a regulations booklet when you buy your license. But, you know, and then obviously you've got unlimited numbers of Canada geese you can shoot in a day as well. So, yeah, you've got plenty of opportunity (laughs) to shoot a few birds over here. So so no hunters...
0: No hunters over there going hungry.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no. There's always plenty of uh, of meat in the freezer. Um, that's for sure. And um, the season length also varies. So our dabbling duck season length can go in our region this year because the numbers are low. <clears throat> it is one a one month season for dabbling ducks. The paradise shell Ducks go on after that. They use different habitat and and their you know their numbers are looking quite good at the moment. So that's a two month season other parts of the country will have a, a three month settling duck season um so the central south island where you got a, a 50 bird daily limit they also have a three month season um this year so it's, it's variable and it all depends on what the, the bird numbers are doing in each of those regions
0: awesome that uh, definitely uh, you know <laughs> that definitely puts a lot of things in perspective when you're talking about the opportunity um I, I figured they'd be higher, but I didn't figure the the limits and all that would be as high as that. That's pretty. That's honestly pretty insane. It's pretty uh, uh, pretty awesome. You know, especially getting out there for the hunters there and some big bag numbers for sure.
2: Yeah, and so we do also have. I should mention in, in some regions we have actual, yeah, you know, where the numbers are high and then the birds are causing some distraction on agricultural. Crops and so on, we actually have special management hunts which occur in summer. <coughs> Excuse me. So, um, so, that special management hunts can occur often around February, um, between February and start of March. Um, so, again, there's another opportunity for hunters if you're, if you're coming for our summer, which is obviously when our saltwater fishing, so that's the other thing we've got, you know, we've got great, I mean, world class trout fishing, which <coughs> some of their fishing game managers, but also awesome saltwater fishing on the big game side of it. So if you're coming in summer and you want to combine a family holiday with um, with maybe being able to shoot a few birds, then there are those special management huts. So again, you just have to get hold of the local fishing game um, region where, you, where you're staying and, and see what they've got on offer.
0: Awesome. I'll definitely be doing some some internet research and, and figuring out you know the, the best way to <laughs> figure all that out and you know, hopefully it's added to my bucket list. It's going to become a joke sure. how many things I add to my bucket list, but
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, well, look, you guys are welcome three anytime three. over here. And uh, maybe next time um, we can do a podcast, we can be uh, sitting in a duck line somewhere in uh, <laughs> the central South Island trying to get our 50 birds for the day. Oh, uh,
0: man,
3: that, that would be a dream come true. That would be
0: awesome. All righty. Well, I think that. That about rounds it up. So, uh, again, we really appreciate you coming on, David. Uh, been a great podcast. Um, anything else you'd like to add, Elliot?
3: I don't think so. I just appreciate you coming on with us. It's been very interesting, and I'm glad that you are killing waterfowl, at least right now, because we're a long ways away. We've gotten until the beginning of September so we can shoot ducks again. So go get them for us, David.
2: <laughs> no worries hey look now now we've connected I'll uh, I'll try and make you a bit more jealous and send some photos <laughs> over um, next time I get out into the blind um, you know I've only actually been out one morning so far this season so I need to out my game um, <clears throat> this uh, this work lack needs to slow down a bit and uh, I'll try and get out there and scare a few hopefully tomorrow actually so yeah, we'll catch up again sometime, and um, yeah, like I say, if you guys can make it over here, um, you're more than welcome, and I'm sure you'll find a bunch of accommodating Kiwis that would love to um, show you what, what opportunities we've got here.
0: Awesome. All folks, I'm Jordan from Duck Hunt Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Dave from New Zealand, and we'll see you guys on the next one.